Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Yes, hi. Thank you for having me. So my name is Mirko Kovac and I'm the director of the Aerial Robotics Laboratory at Imperial College in London and also the Materials and Technology Centre of Robotics at the EMPA Material Science Institute in Switzerland. Thanks so much for joining us, Professor Marco. It's a pleasure to have you in the podcast. So thank you. So I would like to go back when you were a child. Do you have any memories about uh, being interested in science or technology as a kid? Yes, actually, I mean, of course, you know, this has been something that has been following me all my life. And mm -hmm. so when I grew up, I grew up in Switzerland. And I remember as a child, when I was seven or eight, um, I used to disassemble watches. So I used to have this table full of half-dead watches. Um, and I was very interested in their inner life for some reason. My mother was less, um, less excited about this. Yeah. But uh, I do remember these uh, watches and also playing with batteries and electric motors being fascinated by the sound and smell when they're overloaded. And so that was a lot of fun. Also, I used to um, disassemble fireworks and make own combustion systems and play mm -hmm. with them. So, I mean, this playing with engineering is very much a foundation for throughout my life. Yeah, that's super interesting. I think it's correlated to research indeed, yeah. So what is the first robot you build, the actual robot you build, and what is the feeling you had when you build the first robot? So the first system that I would call a robot that I built was in my PhD. So in the first few months of my PhD, um, I worked on a small glider, gliding aircraft that can follow light gradients. And it can do that at the mass budget of only 1.5 grams, including sensors, computers and batteries. Now at that time, this was very lightweight and it used a shape memory alloy actuator and the basic control principle of the Breitenberg vehicles. To, um, to navigate. Now this means it uses some sensor inputs or light sensors and then connects this directly to the actuators to fly towards the light. So it's an extremely simple control strategy, control law that uh, we used there. And so what was the most fascinating for me was to see how this very simple strategy can lead to very complex behaviors of following light gradients and landing close to the light. So in some way the, the robot became alive by doing very simple control with integrated um, actuation and sensing. That's interesting. So I'm curious to ask you, what is the most simple and beautiful, profound equation that inspires you through your work? So for me, uh, I would say this is definitely the Navier-Stokes equation. Now, the Navier-Stokes equation is a set of partial differential equations that describe the motion of viscous fluids and include the conservation of momentum and mass. Now they are governing most of fluid dynamics. And this has been always fascinating for me. I did study fluid mechanics and combustion engines at ETH for my undergrad. And what was really beautiful to see and learn about is how, for example, a diffusion flame is burning or how a flame front moves through a air-fuel mixture and then integrates chemical transformation, temperature, pressure, and the dynamic relationships between them. And so this is really just a 
pure beauty for me. So I would like to go back. What is, when was the first actual encounter with soft robotics field for you in your, in your research work? So I think for me, I was exposed to the soft robotics um, paradigm during my PhD, at the end of my PhD, but also especially during the postdoc at Harvard in 2010, 2012, where many of the researchers who are now active in soft robotics also started. So I know many of uh, the people that are now professors from this time. And yeah. so a lot of these ideas came out there and this, this paradigm of a new way of thinking about robotics a new way of thinking about how control question can be approached, how, how functionality and robustness of systems can be um, brought into robotics. And so this has since then obviously fascinated me. Mm -hmm. So in business experiences, how you would define soft robotics? Because I think your research line is a bit different. You, you're trying to focus on small scale and also enhancing material properties and functionalities. So how you define soft robotics from your expertise? Yeah, so the, the term that I would prefer to use instead of soft robotics is mm -hmm. physical artificial intelligence. And mm -hmm. this for me means a methodology to create robots at the interface of mechanical engineering, chemistry, biology and material science. Now the key for that is the evolution and co-evolution of robots with these disciplines and leveraging the adaptive nature of the processes involved to solve computational and functional tasks in robotics. So it is about combining the nature and the properties of materials and chemical processes and physical processes to um, enable robotic functionality. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, Boyd. I'm curious to ask you in this regard, do you think we understand the physics behind a smart material very well? I think um, we start to understand the physics, but it's, I think, not just about the material itself or understanding mm -hmm. the material in, in isolation. It's about understanding the material in context or in, in the embedded environment of a robotic system. And so that is really much more than just the material. It's the material composites. It's about actuation, sensing, material integration methods and how this can be modeled, exploited, leveraged and used. Mm -hmm. So. I think it's more than just understanding the material. It's understanding the robot. And this robotic science um, is really the foundation of what soft robotics can contribute to the world, I think. Can you give example based on that? Something you witnessed that may be missing in understanding the robotic side in our field? So one example, for example, is in nature, where many animals use soft or adaptive structures to aid in, in functionality. For example, the, the feathers on, on the back of a bird, bird's wing, um, are adaptive to the turbulence that happens in deep stall on the wing. So they, um, add, they kind of can pop up passively and like this reduce the turbulence on the wing and like this allow the, uh, the, the animal to do deep stall flight maneuvers. So this is one example of um, the material of the feather integrated in the structure, which has some kind of directional compliance and being integrated in the behavior of the bird in the morphing wings that is also integrating with the feather direction and the feathers arrangement. So this mm -hmm. is beyond just understanding the materials that the feathers are made of. 
It's about the whole process, the behavior, the control, the and and the structural implementation of these materials within a robotic system. And so maybe that's an example of what I mean when I say it's about the robot, studying the robot and not only studying the material. I think this point is very interesting because we are going to have tomorrow that kind of robotics debate about whether we have to look for new material with new functionalities or we have to use what we have and try to imply the morphology computation or what's called architected compliance to get certain functionality. Do you think in the community we have to find new materials or we just have to understand, uh, taking account what he mentioned now to get certain functionality? Which side do you think we have to go for? I think it's both, really. It's about using materials that are known and playing with morphology or developing new methods for morphological um, integration and computation and adaptation to have certain functionality. And this mm -hmm. can be done with very much known materials, know, carbon fiber, silicon, and so on. But in parallel, you also need to bring in new materials, new functional materials that have certain properties that the robotics community might not have been exposed to. And I think there's another opportunity there as well on actually designing and um, integrating novel materials that have some kind of interesting or intelligent behaviors. So I think both fronts are required. So I think here the first question may be um, in general in the field, what do you think misconception we have? about material science and designings of robotics. What a misconception, maybe in the field itself and also outside the field, like lay people. So I think um, outside the field of soft robotics, um, there is the misconception that soft robotics is all about um, inflatable silicon robots that mm -hmm. are very slow and heavy and don't have any practical utility. Now, this is a misconception, but it is still relatively prevalent um, when talking to people in the investment ecosystem or in the startup ecosystem. So I'm an advisor on, on a robotics funds. And so in these discussions, it's very much um, about robotics being seen for surgery or for autonomous driving, for example. And these communities often don't see the value of um, soft robotics as far as I've experienced. And mm -hmm. so I think what is needed there is to have um, success stories of applications that show the benefit of this paradigm of robotics. So soft robotics grippers are one of those success stories. Right? The soft mm -hmm. robotics company that uses grippers that can adapt to any kind of shape of object that can be picked up. And there might be others too. And I think this is something that the community could put forward to really define some key high value um, use cases that then motivate the fundamental research that we all are doing. So I think uh, this is something that is relatively missing at the moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And inside the field, do you think there's misconception maybe about your work or, or do you have witnessed any misconception inside the field itself? I think the field is very young, so it's mm. uh, a lot of people are starting to be involved in this paradigm of soft robotics or physical AI. And so I think uh, in, within these early stages of a community, um, what happens is that people uh, reproduce existing like, results 
and then out of this um, build on new directions, new creative directions. So in that sense, I don't think there is a misconception as such. There's just a young field that is still finding its identity, finding its um, core streams and like this, developing the technology in new directions. So I think it's just the natural stage that the community is at um, at the moment, um, which which we see today. But I think this will develop quickly in the future. In the mm -hmm. future. So just maybe a quick question also about the your work. Do you have any inspiration for the nature? Maybe a creature inspired you. You didn't really did any research, but maybe it's fascinating for you and never be a consider in our field. I'm really fascinated by animals that transition between environments dynamically by changing their morphology. For example, the diving birds that use optic flow-based methods to dive into the water, folding the wings, and like this can survive very high speed impacts into the water without you know, damaging their delicate wings. Another example are spiders. So spiders that can walk, they can walk on the water surface and then they reconfigure the legs to make micro sails. And this allows them to sail on the water surface. Ballooning spiders are another example. So they can build spider like silk parachutes and that they can spin and then they use these parachutes to migrate long distances. Other examples are flying fish or flying squid that um, mm. reconfigure the soft structures to you know, fly and dive underwater. So this type of multimodal um, capability that is enabled by reconfiguration of soft aero structures I think is extremely fascinating and I think there's a lot for us as a field to learn from these type of animals. So maybe the question here also, what's maybe area or direction of research you think is very promising, but maybe the communities seem to disagree or it doesn't give much attention. So I think one of the key areas that I think is very interesting um, for the community, but also personally, I think is very exciting is the field of soft aerial robotics. So using soft materials or physical AI methods in aerial robotics. So this is something that we focus on. We have three methods uh, that are three directions or vectors that we study within that. One is the aerial aquatic mobility for robotics, where we can use soft folding wings or morphing metamorphic structures um, to do folding for um, aerial aquatic transitions. And to do that, we need to model and develop new systems that can um, be modeled and be manufactured that allow for this metamorphology within during the transitions. The second uh, field that we look at is on material intelligence. And this is about integrating sensing and different functional materials to do functionalization for aerial robotics. This is about soft composites with embedded sensors that can aid and support in perching, for example, or aerial, aerial transitions, landing on surfaces and so on. The third field that we study is on biohybrid systems. So basically using biological materials and biological processes, actuation and sensing principles in uh, mobile robotics. And I think this is a very exciting field that is also starting where people, uh, including us, look at different ways how we can benefit from biological processes, chemical processes in biology, bioengineering based processes to augment functionality in robotic systems. I think that's really excellent point, and I would like to break again this point. The first one, maybe, should ask you, or all you ask us question about the design uh, of like wing or morphology. How 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 you consider the design process? Is you looking for the behavior to mimic the behavior, or you try to mimic the structure of the the like the bird? How you approach this kind of uh, design process? 
So I wrote a paper about this called the Bioinspired Robot Design Paradigm, um, mm -hmm. which is a, an attempt to formalize a, a methodology of how to do that. And I think the conceptually important aspect in this is to look at nature, look at natural systems, and try to identify the key principle that is valuable for enabling functionality. And so by this principle, um, then to extract this principle and then to um, um, implement the same principle using the best of engineering knowledge and creative processes of um, robot design and material choice and integration in the robot. So this, um, this pathway from, create, from analysis of anim animals and nature to mm -hmm. the clear definition of the principle, maybe through modeling as well and biomimetic exploration, but then to go through the creative aspect of building it, I think is the, is the full cycle. The modeling of the structures themselves also has a role, of course, to dimension certain uh, aspects on the robot. So that's the implementation part. But the creative mm -hmm. exploration comes uh, before that. Mm -hmm. Now I'd like to ask you about the modeling in this part. Do you think that in the modeling technique, which level of scale we have to go for? If you wanted to design certain structure, do you think you have to go to maybe continuous scale or we have to go to micro? How do you think about the current mo modeling approaches in the field? Do you think they capture the dynamics happening in the soft material? How do you see about about these approaches used in the field for modeling? I think um, typically robot robotics would um, base the idea of control based on the state estimation model of the system. So you have a model that you can predict how it behaves and what are the physics, uh, the physical forces and so on acting on the system. And then there's a controller and an actuator, which is very predictable, that can then give an output and like this uh, allow for some autonomous uh, navigation, for example. Now, soft robotics uh, doesn't have this luxury because uh, mm -hmm. the structures are very difficult to model. There's hysteresis effect, there's hyper elastic properties of the materials. So it's very difficult to model. There are some models that exist, such as Mooney Rivlin model, which is quite popular or other constitutive models. But again, they are more on the material level. Once it gets integrated into system, other effects such as manufacturing come into play or kind of integration, interfaces between robotic elements. So it becomes very difficult to model. So I think we can do some modeling to do some sizing, for example. So it gives us at first an indication of the motors, pumps to use based on the model. But then quickly we have to, if you want to do real-time control, I think we, we can leverage embedded and distributed sensing with machine learning methods on top of that to learn the, mo the, the dynamics of this particular implementation of the robot. So I think this is very similar to actually how nature works and mm -hmm. using this approach or this method of um, controlling such soft robots I think is very promising rather than trying to model everything perfectly because this at the end I think will be very difficult given uh, changing and challenging environments which are also by themselves very difficult to predict. I think this really really good point about what you mentioned about what we have in nature and what we try to do and I would like to excuse this question in this point about do you think traditional control techniques is sufficient for soft robotics for example sometimes I feel that some the control technique destroy the natural dynamics and we go for modular uh, control techniques and we had an also podcast discussion about how we can exploit the nonlinearities of the material and geometric structure instead of using the controller. 
Do you think that something, uh, first of all, how how, how thought about, what's your thought about the control techniques and soft robotics? Do you think you agree with uh, these approaches? And do you think nonlinearities in the material itself and the structure could really be beneficial and achieve the desired functionalities without using a controller? Do you think that's visible? Yes, I think the, the non-linearity and complex behavior of the materials and structures is very much important because this is exactly what gives the, the, the richness or the, if you want, the bandwidth of the, of the system to solve certain challenges in, in the environment, so certain tasks. So I think this should be preserved instead of trying to be controlled and be actually taken away from the robot. So if we, if we want to have this new paradigm of um, multifunctional dynamic structures, chemical processes, fluid dynamic processes being exploited for robot functionality, we have to deal with the complexity of these processes. Now, this can be modeled in some examples. I mean, Navier Stokes is one example, Munir Rivlin or other models are an example. But at the end of the day, I believe that the system level characterization and study of the robots um, is equally important. So we can look at the robot like we look at an animal and really try to understand how it behaves, how it can be characterized, what are appropriate methods of characterization and validation, and how this can be then exploited and co-evolved and further developed to have certain functionality. So we are really far from understanding that. And so studying different implementation levels and different components, subcomponents and systems can really help in this as well. That's a really good point. And I'm curious to ask you this point again. Why do you think as a community focusing, because you mentioned a really good point, and why we don't focus in this point, like exploiting the nonlinearities? Why we focus in just using traditional control, which you used for rigid robot? Do you think where this come from and how we can shift the focus and really understanding what you mentioned? I think uh, using established methods or established approaches of control, for example, are more comfortable. You know, so it's mm -hmm. less um, prone to criticism from the wider community, wider robotics community. And so I think um, we need to further explore alternative methods and have the courage to do so. So this will then at the end show the benefits of these methods and validate the hypothesis that this new paradigm of soft robotics is valuable for robotics to enable certain uh, functionality. So at large, we don't know as a field whether soft robotics can have benefits. There are good indications that it does have, and there are many examples, but I think we, we should study this in an unbiased way. So what if we don't use the established methods and we use new methods, using machine learning, embedded sensors, um, exploitation of dynamic properties of materials, morphologies and structures. And so how, how, what can we achieve with that? What is the value? How can we integrate this? How can we study that, these processes, these systems? And I think if we continue this journey, we will really get the answer of what the soft robotics can do or physical AI can do, which traditional robotics cannot do. And I think that is, there is a lot that it can do. And coming back to the second part of embedded sensing and what you may be about uh, intelligence uh, we're trying to achieve in some robotics. So why design sensing, uh, for me, sensing work or sensor itself is so challenging in the field? Where does this come from, the challenging? What is the critical element that we have faced in designing soft sensor or embedded and soft robot? 
think a main challenge is uh, to create a sensor that is actually soft, that has a similar softness or flexibility to the structure that is embedded in. So that we need to match the elasticity of the sensor and the structure so that we don't have any kind of interface problems, delamination effects and so on. So that's mm. one aspect is how to manufacture sensors, which sensors, which materials to use, which um, kind of um, conductivity or sensing principles to use in those materials and how and in which conditions are those appropriate or can be integrated in a kind of soft robotic system. So that's one question. The other question mm. is how to then arrange the sensors. So which are the dominant um, kinematic, um, kinematic primitives, if you want, where we can arrange those sensors to get the key information out of the sensor that can then allow us to control a robot like that. And so that's another question is how to arrange sensors. Do we just distribute them widely throughout the entire structure? Do we have certain uh, uh, methods how to uh, direct their integration? Or also, how do we use this data to then have a neural network that um, operates based on this uh, sensor output? All of these mm -hmm. are really open questions that the field is just starting now to study. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point about how you arrange them, because do you think for, for, your, for your research, how you manage to maybe make a certain structure or topology for the sensor network? How you approach that, um, the arrangement of the sensor to detect certain behavior? If you can tell us how you approach this design process of arranging sensor network embedded in the soft material. Yeah, so we, um, we integrate them um, alongside very dominant uh, extension uh, axis of the structure, but then also we um, overload the structure with more sensors that are actually needed, and then we use that for um, with a neural network to control or kind of get some kind of overall image of the structure. However, this is really ongoing work, and so we are, you know, still exploring different methods. And depending on the application or the, depending on the morphology of the structure and what the structure should do, uh, different approaches to this um, are useful. So if it's something that is just a, a one-dimensional hinge, for example, it's of course not the same that if it's some three-dimensional structure that changes the topology very in a very complex manner. So it really depends very much on the embodiment of this particular structure. Yeah. And for the challenge of, of combining like biohybrid material, as you, say, as you mentioned, uh, the third element, what do you think the most challenging part about combining different material? As you mentioned, there's issue about delimination, and we try to match this, the, the mechanical properties of the different material that we combine. But for you, what do you think the most challenging part in designing biohybrid actuator? It depends which materials are used, right? If it's a mammalian cells or muscle cells, mm -hmm. or if it's a plant material, plant cells, uh, it's, it's very different. So there are different challenges that come in, but overall it's about um, the challenge is how to uh, initiate motion. So how to use these materials and use uh, triggers to initiate certain actuation for this. And then also how to um, grow them, how to integrate them, how to keep them alive within a robotic mm -hmm. system. So, and this then becomes very specific on one or the uh, which which um, structure or material is used for that. So, if I ask you how you would define, as you mentioned, physical uh, intelligence, or physical AI intelligence, what you, what you mentioned about definitions of robotics. So, if you can tell us how you see the, um, 
the optimum intelligent and soft robotics? Is it designing um, maybe different material? For example, we have the question, what kind of material we have to design? Is it we have to maintain the viscoelasticity properties or we have to get elastic material? How do you see the intelligence in soft robot? Yeah, so it, I mean, it's very difficult to define what intelligence exactly is. But yeah. one way how to look at this is that we uh, consider the input-output relationship and what happens in between. So what does the robot or the structure see and what does it do based on this? And so if we have materials that then can act as computing, computing units, I think we have some kind of intelligence. This can be chemical triggers that initiate certain motion in the material or contraction or adaptation or any kind of process that has an input-output relationship. And so then on a material level, this is one material intelligence approach. But then if we integrate it in a structure, it should aid in certain motion, for example. So having using this input-output behavior of the materials to have a higher level motion or a higher level locomotion um, of the structure or the robot. And so this could be different forms of intelligence or abstraction of, of intelligence in terms of the integration and the uh, overall capability. Mm -hmm. So whether this is called computation or not is, uh, is a very good question. So how do we define computation? Can we think of fluid logic as a computational framework and so on? And these are very important and uh, interesting questions that I think also the field is now exploring. Yeah, that's a really good question, yeah. And I think the question we ask all the time, why soft robotics that we have already in the field has maybe sometimes there's a trade-off between the mechanical performance and the bandwidth. There's always a trade-off between them. So what do you think the missing pieces? Why we can have a soft robot with high mechanical performance, of course, bend application with high bandwidth at the same time? And we don't get this trade-off. I think it depends on how we define performance. If robustness is a performance metric, then I think soft robotics is performing extremely well compared to traditional methods of robotics. Now, if we define performance in terms of uh, reaction speed to certain stimuli, then maybe some of the inflatable robots that the, that the field develops is less um, dynamically responsive compared to some of the other traditional actuators. But I think uh, performance can be th seen in a more higher level and that is very specific to certain robot functionality and robot classes. And I think within that, soft robotics has a performance improving um, role to play. Also, the speed, I think, is one of the usual kind of criticism, let's say, so soft robotics is slow, but it doesn't have to be slow. For example, plants also have snapping motions to disperse their seeds, or um, grasshoppers use buckling in their knee joint, joint um, this semilunar process mechanism that they have in the knee joint, uh, which gives dynamic motion or elastic storage and explosive motions. And this is all based on um, the soft robotics paradigm. So I think we can use soft robotics also in fast actuation and fast processes. And maybe the field um, would benefit from um, showing more of that, these type of examples. And if I ask you what maybe the biggest technological roadblocks that could face soft robotics in short term and long term, if you can tell us what could be the 
something we have to focus on the community from your experience. Yeah, so I think the, the, the main challenge is to explore different methods of how, how these material structures and sensors can be integrated. So the, the roadblock in that sense is just the youth of the community that is still relatively constrained and there's still a very large white space that can be filled, can be explored, can be studied. And so I think the, the, the courage to do so, to, to have more unconventional methods and try out different ways, different materials, different processes, even if they are very difficult to benchmark against existing robots that are more traditional, I think is a value. So I think if we um, think of the venues and conferences that we, that we develop and where we uh, present all this work, I think it's important that we remain very open and also allow for contributions that are not working as well as some other robots. So not to benchmark it against existing established methods, but to give the credit to new, completely revolutionary ideas, even though they are not perfect or they have big limitations. And if you do that, I think a lot of novelty and benefits will emerge from the community. I think that's a really excellent point because we have the question about how can we enable more inclusive culture around competitive idea, and, and that's what to try to say now. But let's be honest, I, I don't know if you can answer this question, but yeah, we have few grants and few funding for the project and there's a pressure you have to publish and, and sometimes we don't have enough time to consider maybe the question we, you mentioned uh, before. So how do you see uh, this pressure and if you have any new ideas, also it will be um, considered in the community. So do you have any answer for this question? how we can be more inclusive, intellectually inclusive in the field. I think the soft robotics community is still largely robotics based. So most of mm -hmm. the people are actually roboticists. Um, if you look at, for example, the Robosoft conference. And I think that's brilliant and uh, it's a growing community. But of course, it would benefit from more people from material science, from biology, from chemistry, and to be really part of this. So to team up and collaborate and also integrate them and allow them into the community by proposing maybe more fundamental work or more peripheral work and like this have a wider scope. So this could be one strategy. However, coming back on the question you mentioned with the funding, I think the funding come, boils down to the programs that are giving the funding and they are typically concerned with applications and value for society. So vision research has autonomous driving, which is a billion dollar industry, very important, very impactful, it's impacting our everyday life. So what is the same for the soft robotics community? And I think if we identify a few high level key showcases, then the government and the funding agency will realize that and support also the fundamental research. So I think it starts with the why it's uses, with the why question, which then will give the resources to the entire community to do also very novel and creative and unconventional work that can enable this new type of a paradigm. And uh, do you have any thoughts about uh, the issue of reproducibility of the research? Sometimes we have this discussion, it is sometimes hard to reproduce certain research done in, in, in scope of smart material or soft robotics. Do you have any solution how we can have reproducible research? I think one important aspect in this is the, uh, the modeling tools um, mm. that are becoming open source now as well. I mean, a lot of this is so the, 
Soft Robotics Toolkit, for example, is an excellent example of um, methods being proposed um, for modeling or manufacturing that support reproducibility, right? Where then people can try and uh, show that they actually are reproducible in terms of manufacturing. The other aspect, which in my opinion is still missing, are the uh, validation and characterization environments. So how do you characterize these type of robots? I mean, maybe the methods that typically are used in robotics are not appropriate. So for our example, we, we developed an environment where we can test aerial aquatic transitions. And so how do we track the robots across the air-water interface? How do we study them in wave conditions, in windy conditions on an ocean, during waves and so on? And so mm -hmm. these environments can be very valuable to study and characterize this type of novel robots. And I think we need more such examples of environments, changing environments being um, simulated to demonstrate when soft robotics or physical AI uh, type of uh, robots can bring the value that they promise. Yeah, indeed. So we are closing to end with a few questions. The first one, um, given your role, how, how will you ensure with your team that the development of robots is beneficial to humanity? I'm asking this question because at, at the beginning we, we try to figure out whether we have to make a technology-driven or product-driven project. So how do you see this approach and make sure that you develop something will be beneficial? So for my, for my group in particular, what I'm interested in is to um, build robots that can protect the environment. So to use robots to do environmental sensing, to have them live autonomously and in a self-sustainable manner within natural ecosystems around coral reefs, in forests and so on. And so this then motivates a lot of the research, which has a, a very inspiring goal. And I think this is the starting point of why and how we build them. And that also then puts or defines the, the requirements on the robotic system. And I think that's for, for me, at least uh, for my group, is, uh, is one of the approaches how we, how we look at it. And do you think ego is important for the researcher? Yeah, so I think the, there are different drivers in research that can help, and ego is one of them. So, for example, personal recognition um, or fame or money, right, can help in basically overcoming the fear of death or the fear of rejection. So this status-based approach can help uh, to motivate people to do certain things. However, I don't think it's the best motivator. I think there are two more that could be, that are possibly stronger. One of them, I would say, is uh, curiosity-driven research, where it's about mm -hmm. the enthusiasm of bring, building the robots. It's a joy on doing it. It's valuing the beauty of engineering, which is some form of a devotive act of serving mm -hmm. the process of manifestation. So I think this is a stronger motivator than ego, but it's still not perfect. It's still uh, about the process, just about building because we can. It's building because we like to see it being done. But I think the strongest motivator, in my opinion, is um, doing good or improving the world. So an altruistic, noble, higher level goal that is beyond the personal, uh, personal benefit. So if we can do the above too, um, and use this as a motivation to improve lives, to protect the environment, to educate the world, support freedom and self-determination of the underprivileged uh, world, I think this is a real driver that will give the highest, uh, the best fruits and the highest value. I really like this answer, yeah. And which book inspired you? 
So I think one important book which uh, was really um, formative for me is the book from Valentino Breitenberg called Breitenberg Vehicles, which is a book about synthetic psychology and looking at the question of artificial intelligence uh, in terms of embodiment in the robotic system. So very simple sensor actuator loops can be used to lead to very complex behaviors. And this really answers the question or poses the question rather than answering it, but poses the question of what intelligence is, what uh, complex behavior, emergent behavior is, what is artificial life? And also at the end of the day, who are we as humans? Are we intelligent, autonomous, actually alive? What is life? What is artificial life? And I think this, these questions are very much fundamental to the thought of how to build the next generation of robots. That sounds interesting, yeah. And what are the most important qualities you have gained while working in academia? And something you have to maintain for your academic journey? So I think there are different ways how to be successful in academia and you can be focusing very deeply on one question and really going very much into the depth of that or having the opposite approach of being relatively broad and exploring different questions and have some kind of synthesis or higher understanding based on this. So I think uh, different people have different approaches to that. But overall, what I think for me is important, it's a balance between the structure of how to structure research, how to structure work, the day and discipline, but also at the same time remain uh, flowing and free and creative, which is more of an artistic mindset. So I think mm -hmm. too much into the extreme of each of those is not helpful for research or academia or academic success but it's about the balance of both. So structured, but free, flowing, but also constrained or within bounds. And I think the play with that, and I think yeah. benefiting from both sides is what the success, what is a kind of a predictive um, aspect of success. That's a good point, yeah. And finally, what was the best advice was given to you, whether personally or professionally, and with a life changing? Well, I mean, there's, there's maybe one, one quote which um, I read, I think, about 20 years ago. And since then, I was keeping in my mind, which is that if you aim for simplicity, you have to master complexity. So I, don't, I haven't found who said this. I tried to find it online, but I haven't found that. I read it in a book about photography and artistic photography about 20 years ago. And it has been inspiring because it's the same for soft robotics. I don't think we should... Um, use soft robotics in order to avoid complex questions in robotic control or integration or modeling. I think it's about understanding the principles, studying them in detail and studying mm -hmm. them on the system level. So studying the whole robot and the robot in terms of their, uh, in their, in terms of their life and capability embedded in the environment, which then gives us some understanding of the principles, the simple laws that govern the field of soft robotics. And I think this simplicity after understanding the complexity is where um, we need to go, where we need to also, um, you know, achieve these principles that are underlying the field. And I think this will be the real value. I, I think this is a really brilliant and profound uh, quote. And I think that summarizes everything we ask about soft robotics. So thank you for that. I think that's a really brilliant uh, point. So, do you have any final words for the robotics community would like to say? So, I think my main point, I think, for the community would be to just uh, keep going, you know, and keep yeah. the confidence in this work and this paradigm, 
and create new types of ideas that are completely, you know, out of the comfort zone, out of the established ways, intellectual ways of thinking about robotics. So I think um, once we do that and we keep this confidence and we keep on going in this direction, we'll show really the way and the new brave world of uh, robotics and new capabilities, new methods, new principles, and hopefully solutions that can really improve our lives. So thanks so much, Professor Mark, for this enjoyable discussion. And Bob, I totally uh, rest robotics. I would like to thank you for your time. Thanks so much. It is my pleasure. Thank you very much.